And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man whose ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen him, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. It's been a while since I've filled out a job application, but whether you're filling out a job application or signing up for a social network, there are three words that I always hate, where it says, please describe yourself. Remember that? Every application you ever get or every social network, they always want you to take a moment and describe yourself. And I always find it difficult because what do you say that doesn't either make you sound like the dullest person on the planet or like someone who is so full of himself that he has no idea who he actually is? Uh, one of the social networks that's out there, it's called LinkedIn. And as far as I can tell, it's really just a social network where you brag about your job title and your skills. Uh, as far as I know, that's about all that it's good for. Uh, but they published a, a uh, list of the most commonly used words uh, that people use to describe themselves. And so the top three I wanted to share with you quickly uh, remember, LinkedIn is a, it's a social network where you connect with other professionals, that kind of a thing. So the first word that they used to describe themselves more often than not was the word responsible, which is doubtful considering the fact that most of us fill these things out while we're at work. 
So, so I, I question as to whether or not that's truthful or not. The second most used word was strategic. We'll grant them that because they're on LinkedIn, so they're, they're thinking about that. And then thirdly, the most commonly used term was creative, which I find somewhat ironic since everyone lists uh, the phrase creative when they're describing themselves. Uh, so if, if that's on your profile for Facebook or LinkedIn or anything like that, you might want to go home and change that uh, because that's what everyone says about themselves. Uh, this morning, as we look at John chapter 1, there's a, a question that's asked. It's very much the same question uh, that I was just referencing, uh, where the people come to John the Baptist, and they ask him a question. They ask him, look at verse 19. They ask him at the very end of verse 19, who are you? Who are you? John is a man whose ministry had grown. Uh, The synoptic gospels tell us that people are coming from all over Jerusalem, all over Judea, that they're coming to John. And John's ministry was a ministry with power. And John's name was the name that was on everyone's lips at this time. People were flocking to him from all over. And so they came to him and they wanted to know, who are you? They no doubt wanted to be able to lift him up. They wanted to be able to tell others about him. They wanted to be able to give significance or be able to define why he was so particularly able in what he was doing. And so they ask him this question, who are you? And this is a question that we're obsessed with today. Who am I? Who will I be? How will I be remembered? We go through so much of our life asking that question. Uh, A depressing realization is that a very, very small sliver of us will be remembered even two generations from now. And those that are very, very seldom, in fact, if we were to go back to ancient history, the most powerful people in the world, if I was to rattle off some of their names, chances are, unless it's a pharaoh, you probably have not heard their name before. And so we ask ourselves these questions all the time. Who am I? Who will I be? How will I be remembered? And yet, for many of us, if we were presented with the success of John the Baptist, and the question that he is presented with by these delegates from the Pharisees, how many of us would have answered that question, Who are you? with some explanation some defense for yourself that would scream to them, you need to remember me. I'm someone significant. Because I don't even need to remind you that you're one of about 7 billion people on this planet. One of about 7 billion. All I have to do is remind you, especially the husbands who are still getting their Christmas shopping done, and you just went down to the mall to do your Christmas shopping, and you found it difficult to even walk through the aisles of the stores because there were people everywhere, and you know it is so easy to get lost in the crowd. So easy to lose a total sense of who you are separated from anyone else because even teenagers who are fixated on being different from everyone else, are all being exactly like everyone else in being different. But how many of us, if we were presented with this question that John the Baptist is presented with, would have tried to find some reason that people should remember us? 
some reason that set us apart from others around us. And so this morning, I want to start with this question that the passage starts with. Who am I? Some of you are no doubt asking that question of yourselves. Perhaps it's because of relationships that aren't what they once were. Perhaps it's because of dreams that have not turned out as you hoped they would be. Perhaps it's because you've just launched out into college or you've just started off and you're asking yourself, who will I be? Perhaps you're about 15 or 20 years past that stage and and you're looking at the dreams that you had and you're looking back on them now and reality and dream have come together And you're saying, who will I be because it's not what I dreamed for myself? Some of you are asking that question, who am I? And your answer is, I'm someone important because I am doing well. Some of you are answering that question is, I'm a nobody. And so therefore you find yourself depressed or bitter or struggling because you would answer that question in that way. So the thing that I want to focus on this morning is, how do we know who we are? If we were to answer this question like John the Baptist answers this question, how do we as people know who we are? And the first thing that I want to point you to this morning, if you're following along in a program, and I encourage you to do that, the first question that we need to consider before we know who we are is to ask the question, who we are not. When they ask John this question, who are you? John begins with an assessment of himself by saying, here's who I'm not. Here's who I'm not. Now, how many of you, I would imagine all of us, and I know this show is dated. I know the show, I don't believe, is on the air any longer, mercifully. But how many of you watched the first rounds of, the, of American Idol or something like that, where somebody with aspirations to be something great demonstrates to the world that there is a vast gap between their aspirations and reality. Be honest. That's why you tune in at the beginning of that show, and then you tune out after the first couple of weeks. Because we just like to watch those people who have no idea what they actually are. And that's why we love to listen to these people help them come to understand reality, often in not such a nice way. But we know that many people don't understand where they are. And perhaps in your 30s or 40s or 50s, the dreams of your youth come violently into conflict with reality. And some of us become bitter and some of us become disappointed. Some of us become nostalgic for that day or the question of, what if I had done this differently or what if I had done that Differently, But I want to say this morning that you will not know who you are if you do not first know who you are not. So I want you to look with me at verse 20 this morning. John chapter 1, verse 20. I want you to understand, first of all, from verse 19, when it says, When the Jews... John refers to, when you see John refer to the Jews, he is not here making a blanket statement about all Jewish people. When he identifies the Jews, what he is talking about is the Jewish leaders. So you should understand that when he, these people come to John, they are delegates. They have been sent out from the Pharisees. They have been sent out from, from those that ruled over this area to try to ascertain who was John. So look at his response, verse 20. He confessed... And did not deny, 
but confessed. John is saying this in as strong a way as he possibly can, that John was very, very, very clear with them. John did not mumble. He did not mutter. He was very clear with them. Here is what I am not. And look what he says. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. What an amazing person John the Baptist is. It's no doubt, no wonder that Jesus would look at John the Baptist and say, of all people ever born of a woman, there's no one greater than John. Here's an opportunity. John had the crowd to himself. They were eating out of the palm of his hand. He had success. This was a man that was used to living in the wilderness and eating bugs, and now he had the adulation of everyone. The rulers of his people were coming to him. All he had to say was, I'm the Christ, or I'm Elijah. I'm someone significant. You should remember who I am. But he starts with this. He says, I am not the Christ. I am not the anointed one. I'm not the one that you should be looking for. I am not the one who will set my people free of sin and oppression. I am not the answer to your problems. I'm not the one you should be looking to. I'm not even the answer to my own problems. But, I'm going to point you to the one who is. Now, what did John know when he understood about himself what he was not? He begins in that place because he understands this. And I want you to understand this. Whether you're a college student just starting out or a high school student finishing school up and trying to plan. Or you're in your middle ages and you're looking forward to what's coming next. Or or maybe you're a little further along and you're looking back and trying to figure out what have I been and what have I done with my life. I want you to understand. I want you to Stop gazing in the mirror and I want you to take the pressure from yourself and I want you to understand that who you are rests completely. It is settled in who Jesus is. John's not concerned with telling them first off who he is. He is concerned with telling them who he is not So that he can point them to the one that is those things that they are looking for. Now that's an incredible thing. Because for most of us an opportunity at power and success and popularity. We're going to grab at that thing. We're going to scream to the world. Here's why you should know me. But John says no. Here's why you should know him. Because ultimately it's not really even all that important who I am. It is important who I'm not. Some of us, we struggle to fully give our lives over to Jesus Christ as the Lord of every area of our lives because we will not come to accept this basic truth. That at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. You're not defined by what you do, men, You're not defined by how productive you are at work or how big of a house you provide for your family. 
women. You're not defined by uh, your career. You're not defined by your family. You're not defined by those things. Ultimately, it begins with this understanding of who Jesus is, that I must accept this truth first. That it is far less important who I am than it is who Christ is. And so John begins there. The second thing that I want you to see is this. I want you to look at verse 21 because I want you to see something curious. Verse 21, and they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? Now, interestingly, Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 14 that John is Elijah. Not in some reincarnation sense, not, not in some literal sense that John is Elijah. But, it John, but Jesus is going to say in Matthew 11 that John is fulfilling the role that was prophesied of what Elijah was going to be in the New Testament time. So now here's John, and John has asked that very same question, Are you Elijah? Look at his response. Verse 21. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And you might say, well, what a tragedy. John didn't know who he was. Because clearly he's wrong. His assessment of himself and his role and his function is wrong. He doesn't fully understand who he is. And our current culture and our current atmosphere would say, what a tragedy. Because John needs to, before all else, to know who he is so that he can understand why he's significant in the world. Or why he has a purpose or what he's there for. And I want you to understand that John misunderstands who he is. Why does he do that? Well, the first thing I would say is that I've not met John the Baptist yet. I am looking forward to one day. But my, my guess would be that John is not interested in personal glory. John's not interested in what title they may assign to him. He would never lift himself up into such a position to say that he was as significant as an Elijah, even though God would say, you are Elijah. You see, John is a truly humble person. John doesn't think badly of himself. That's not what humility is, to think badly of yourself. It's just not to think of yourself. So I don't know that the question really came into John the Baptist's mind all that often. Am I Elijah? Am I the prophet? Am I the one? No, John was too busy being concerned with the one that was going to be coming after him. Because you see, the problem with us asking this question of ourselves all the time, what makes me important? What makes me significant? And that, that, that yearning that's inside of all of us to find some reason for our existence and some, some label for ourselves to set us apart from the other 7 billion people on the planet right now is ultimately a sinful desire. It's, it's a desire that wants to say, here's why I am important. Whereas John is perfectly content to say, it doesn't matter if I'm important. And my own assessment of myself would be that I really don't assess myself. 
It's not that John thought badly of himself. He just didn't think of himself. So don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out who you are or what your legacy is going to be or how you are going to fit into this or that plan. That desire, that motivation is ultimately directed towards a sinful thing inside of all of us to define who we are apart from who Christ is. And John would say to us that who I am is really ultimately not very important apart from who I am in Christ. John saw himself in that way. Who I am in the world, who I am alone, is is really not that significant. But who I am in Christ is of ultimate significance. John says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one you should look to. I can't even die for my own sins, much less for the sins of the world. Personal glory, even for the few of us that obtain it, is always short-lived. So if you're chasing after defining yourself in some way that others would look to you and think that you're special or unique or significant, understand this, even if you achieve it, it's always short-lived. That thing that you're chasing after is not ultimately going to satisfy. John could have had personal glory, but John was committed to the glory of Christ. So if if the first question is that we need to ask ourselves is, who am I not? We need to understand this next question that, that we concern ourselves with. We often will concern ourselves. Well, what if I misunderstand who I am? What if I don't get it right? What if I go down a wrong path? Or what if I miss an opportunity to achieve some measure of success that I've wanted? What if, what if those things happen? And John would say to us, whether you understand who you are or not, is really not very important. But instead, like John, let's leave that to him. Let's decide that we're just going to be obedient to point people to Christ himself, and then we'll let God decide who we are. We'll let God settle that. You ever notice, I've told you before, I, I, I like to read biographies. The world leaders that are fixated on their legacy are usually the worst leaders. Because they're so busy looking at themselves that they're not looking at what's truly important. The greatest leaders that the world has known are those that aren't really ultimately all that concerned about what people think of them at that moment. They're just concerned with what needs to be done. And we'll leave legacy to another time. As a Christian, we would say, what if I get it wrong? What if I don't understand who I am? That is ultimately not very important. 
What I do need to get right, though, are a couple of things. And so I want you thirdly to see this. There are some things that you need to get right. The first thing that you need to get right is this. You need to get your purpose right. You need to get your purpose. See, John's not worried about titles. He is worried about what his purpose is. Why is he there? What is he there to accomplish? Look at verse 22. Verse 22. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. What is John referencing? He's referencing Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, where God says to the prophet Isaiah, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity, her sin is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of God shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John's saying, here's my purpose. My purpose is to prepare the way for the one that you're actually looking for. Now, how was he to do it? What was that ministry about? Matthew chapter 3 tells us that John understood fully what that ministry was. It was a ministry of repentance. It was a ministry of pointing others to Christ. Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he of whom was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Don't, don't take fashion or dietary advice from John. Okay, that's not the point here. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And the next four words, three words, tell us what his baptism was, was about. It was a baptism of repentance. They were confessing their sins. So John understood what his purpose was. It didn't matter what his title was. He knew what his purpose was. His purpose was to lead others to repentance. To the Christian, I just want to say this morning, why are you here? You are here for the same reason John the Baptist was there. That you might point people to Christ. That you might help them to see their need. And so God has put you in that place of work. God has put you in that neighborhood. Because there are those around you that need to come to a point that they would see Christ for who He is. And that always involves a call for repentance, a call for change. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to say to you, this is the message of God to you. That simply by agreeing with God that your sin is in fact sin, deserving of His punishment, 
that God in that, he makes a straight path in our hearts. So that we might be prepared to accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord. See, those, those words take meaning when I understand that that is in fact what I need. And so this is the heart of what Christianity is. And so we need to understand, Christians, that this is our mission. This is our purpose. If you are finding your definition or your significance of yourself in any other thing, then you've lost sight of the purpose for which God saved you. So that's the first thing. What is our purpose? The second thing is this. How do I understand my orientation? Of myself to Christ. You see, I I want you to understand that who you are is defined by who you are in relationship to Jesus Christ. Christian, non Christian alike, I don't care if you want nothing to do with Christianity and you're here because someone else dragged you here. Who you are is defined by who you are in relationship to Jesus Christ. That is why. So many of the modern atheists, that's why they hate so much a God they say doesn't exist. It's why the culture hates so much the idea that Jesus is anything other than a cute and cuddly baby in a manger. Who I am is defined by who I am in relationship to Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Look at verse 26. Now look at verse 25 for context. They ask him, then why are you now baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? In other words, if you're none of those things, then you have no no right to be doing this. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He's right there in their midst. Among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. How does John understand who he is? He says, I am not even worthy to be a servant. You think I'm someone, you've come out to me because you think I'm someone of significance. The one I'm telling you about, I am not even worthy to be the one that unties his sandals. But you don't even see him. He's right here in your midst. And you don't even see him. I wonder how many of us, I pray none, could that be set up. You come and you hear about Christ and you, you, you celebrate Christmas and maybe you even have your focus in the right places, but you don't see Christ for who he is. John says first of himself, I am not even worthy to be called his servant. Now look at verses 28 and following. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan from where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom... I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. 
Now, John was older than Jesus. But John acknowledges exactly who Jesus is. He says, this one, this one is not just greater than me. But he is the Messiah. He is the very Lamb of God. He is the one that you are looking for. The one that will take away the sin of the world. Why does John point them to that? You see, I said you you must define yourself in relationship to who he is. You must understand that no matter how important or how successful you might think you are, you are still under his authority. He is still Lord of your life, whether you have bent the knee to that or not. He is still over you. I don't care how successful you are. And the other thing that John is saying is this, is he is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And in placing himself under Jesus in that way, he's saying, even my own. Even my own. You see, your understanding of who you are in relationship to who Jesus is must start with this understanding that the sin he came to take away is mine. It's mine. I cannot look at the Christmas at the Christmas story. I cannot look at the birth of Christ the same way. Because I understand that he came he came to live a righteous life that I cannot to die a perfect death that I deserve to give that righteousness to me for me. That's why he came. If my understanding of the Christmas story does not begin there, then it is an inadequate view. John says he is the Son of God. He is greater than me. He's saying to the crowd, I am not, but he's I am. John does an amazing thing here. You see, he is... if. There, there's released every year, Forbes releases a list of the most influential people in the world. The most influential people in the world. Every year they release that list. I looked at this last year's list and they, they included a couple of names. I can't, uh, I can't tell you what they are, but Vladimir Putin was number one, uh, president of Russia. Barack Obama, number two, president of the United States. We can understand those things. Uh, he, he, he moves on and he talks about Angela Merkel, the Prime Minister of Germany, Bill Gates, Ben Bernanke, who's over the Federal Reserve. He gives this list. But have you ever noticed how this list changes fairly frequently? And I can't help but wonder how different God's list would look. When God says of John that he is the greatest... I just I, I find myself struggling to understand how differently God's list must look. So John says it only matters who Jesus is. Does this mean that John is forgotten? Does it mean that John is forgotten? If you were to turn over to Luke chapter 7, in fact, I want to invite you to do that. Luke chapter 7, I've referenced it a couple of times already. It's just a few pages back from where you are right now. To the left, Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist is now sitting in a jail. 
John's at the, in John chapter 1, in what we're primarily looking at this morning, he is at the highest place in his area. He is perhaps, he would be on that list of the most influential people in the world at that time. He's so influential that the leaders are sending people out to try to ascertain who is he. And John does an amazing thing. He effectively takes himself off of that list completely. Because he says to all of those that are there, he says, not look at me, but he says, that one right there, follow him. And almost all of his disciples go and follow after Jesus. And I wonder if I would be willing to do that. I wonder if you would be willing to do that in your moment of your greatest success to give it all up so that Christ might get the glory. You see, in John's gospel, in two more chapters, John falls off the page. We never hear from him again. In John's gospel, we don't hear about John's death, John the Baptist's death. He just falls off the page. Why? Because he understood it didn't matter who he was. It only mattered who Christ was. It only mattered that he gave glory to Christ, that that was his purpose, that that was why he existed. And then he becomes a nobody. He becomes a no one. Does that mean then that John is forgotten? Luke chapter 7, verses 24 to 28. John is now sitting in a prison And he sends his disciples. He has a moment of doubt and he sends his disciples to say, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Was John forgotten? John wasn't concerned about his legacy. He wasn't concerned about who he was. But Jesus knew perfectly well who he was. Jesus knew full well because God does not forget those who live for his glory. So while the glory of the the world is fleeting, it's here today and gone tomorrow, even if we get it, it, it doesn't matter. God's list of the most influential people... I'm convinced many of those people on that list will be people you have never heard of before, who lived their lives, who gave all of their life, not for their own glory, but for His. Nobodies in the world's eyes. People who didn't live in nice houses, they didn't drive nice cars, they didn't wear nice clothes. They weren't living for their own glory, for their own comfort. They were living for His glory. So the question this morning is, whose glory are we living for? Whose glory are we living for? How much time do you spend thinking about what others think of you? How much time do you find yourself wondering whether or not others think highly of you or they think you're a success? 
or they think that you're doing well? How much concern do we place in those things? How much time do you spend, secondly, thinking about what you think of you? How much time do you spend justifying yourself in your own mind? Patting yourself on the back. There's an old story about a pastor who, as he was doing that thing that every pastor hates, after the sermon, you know, you go and you stand at the back door and everybody walks by and you sort of have to say that nice thing because you feel awkward and I feel awkward. And so you walk by and you go, nice job, even if I know and you know you don't really mean it. You still say it on your way out. It's okay. It's sort of a social contract. We know that that goes on, right? We, we get it. But one woman walked by this pastor one day and she grabbed him by the arm and she said, Pastor, I believe you are one of the greatest preachers of your generation. Now, if any of you say that on the way out, I'm going to know you're just making it up, right? And so that pastor, he started thinking about that and he started thinking about that a lot. And he was in his car on the way home with his wife in the seat next to him and he was relaying this story to her. And he was marveling and clearly thinking quite a bit about what this woman had said. And he was feeling good about it. And he said to his wife, he said, How many great preachers do you really think there are in this generation? And his wife said, One less than you do. (laughs) How much time do we spend really thinking about ourselves? Whether it's what others think of us or what we think of ourselves. Let us be like John. This Christmas season, every season. That we would live our lives for His glory and not for ours. That we would allow God to define who we are and how He wants to use us and be satisfied so long as He is glorified in however He would use us. So lastly, how often in our speech do we point others to Christ? How often are we willing to step to the side that they might see him? See, this is what defines us. This is what sets our significance. We are who we are because of who Christ is and nothing else. Is that true of your life? 